Welcome to the PivotCast. This episode was recorded on November 1st, 2017 at the Transact Club. This episode features readings from Dina Del Buccia and E. Martin Nolan. Unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, we missed Spencer Gordon's reading. We're really sorry about that. Just so you know, this episode contains a bit of sexual content and strong language. Listener's discretion is advised. Let's do this. Dina Del Lucia. Oh, is that like a hard... No, you did really good. Bukia. Bukia. Keep doing more. Bukia. <laughs> Bukia. I love everything. Are you Transylvanian? Dina Del Bukia yeah. is the opposite. It got worse. I'm sorry. It got worse. <laughs> Uh, I married into an Italian family, and I thought that would just help me <coughs> pronounce it, but it didn't work that way. Uh, Dina Del Bucchia is the author of three collections of poetry, Coping with Emotions and Otters. <laughs> so good. Talon Books, 2013, Blind Items, Insomniac Press, 2014, and Rom-Com, Talon Books, 2015. The latter written with her Cantlet podcast co-host, and we wish we could have had him here tonight, but... The state sucks. Uh, co-host, Daniel Zamparelli. We love you, Daniel. Love you, Daniel. <laughs> Cry for him. She's an editor of Poetry's Dead Magazine and the artistic director of the Real Vancouver Writer Series. Dina created and updates Dress Like a Book on Tumblr and Instagram. It's awesome. To unite two of her great loves, literature and fashion. Her first collection of fiction, Don't Tell Me What to Do, is literally here and also out now with Arsenal Pulp Press. Let's bring her on out. Yeah. Yes. That's fine, right? Yeah. Is that yeah. too loud? Is this too loud? Thank you so much. You two are amazing. I'm so happy that you are hosting uh, my second pivot. This is my second pivot. Can't wait till I get that sweet, sweet fourth, fourth timer's jacket. Um, it's a cup. It's a, oh, sorry, it's a cup. Five time, what do you get? What do you think? That's a jacket. That's definitely a jacket. I feel like we should change it to be just like a jumpsuit. Like a... A onesie? Like a... No. I was going to say like a fireman's onesie, but that's really weird. More like a mechanic's. <laughs> and then it has like a pivot embroidered with your name. Um, so if anyone's into that, we can start on this project. <laughs> also, reading fiction is so hard. Um, after reading poetry for many years, and it's really confusing and strange, and I never know what to do. Has anyone else had this problem? What about the other way? Has anyone had the problem the other way? <laughs> like poetry just lends itself to either being obnoxious or <laughs> performative or whatever. Like you could just fall into poet voice and you're fine. Yeah. But when you're reading fiction, it's a whole other <laughs> So what I'm going to do is give you guys choices um, about what I'm going to read. Also, again, so excited to read with these two lovely writers. Uh, I read Spencer's book on the play today and cried three times. So, because, you know, I'm in airplane mode like a responsible adult, but I was taking photos, I was like, <laughs> what an emotional whirlwind. Um, so I'll just give you the titles, and then you can choose. I'm not going to give you any details. Um, one is called Cold Cuts, 
And the other one is shorter, so I can read the whole thing, and it's called Instructions <coughs> for Having an Affair. So those are your two choices. Who votes for cold cuts? <laughs> Has anyone? <laughs> okay. <laughs> is this because, okay, I just want to know, also show of hands of people who raise their hands, is this because you love meat products? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's working out great and I'm loving it. Um, then, so instructions for having an affair. Instructions. Okay. Bye. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this is sponsored by Ashley Hess. Instructions for having an affair. Read this first. Don't think it's as easy as going to some bar. It never is. That kind of thinking is what will cause disappointment. Get organized. Details. That's what it's best to excel at, like in an Excel spreadsheet. Keep track of things in Kodachrome code. Colors that correspond to fantasies set to make reality. Organize everything on the computer in secret documents. File names must be boring. Dessert recipes. June meeting. <coughs> Raw images. And yet they allude to something dirty or dangerous for you. Only you need to know the details. Only you need to know how to make yourself a wet mess. Even if it's just while looking at a few typed sentences on a black and white grid in a document on a desktop computer. The world might want us to be more elaborate than we want to be. Alleviate pressure by knowing your limit, by playing within it, by laying yourself out on your desk in the middle of the night and using an old joystick in ways that make you glad no one uses joysticks for playing video games anymore. <laughs> Communication. Honey. Still call your husband Honey, if that's his nickname. That's the name you must use. Call him Barracuda or Babe, or Al, if that's his name. <laughs> and you keep it serious. You keep it in the realm of the real without the added element of twee nuance. Not everyone needs it, but needs, that is what we're talking about. And yours are not being met in some way. Figure this out. Answer questions. Do you hate the phrase oral pleasure? <laughs> but your partner insists on using it. <laughs> Are you sleepier than usual? Ask yourself, what is missing? Attention, lust, the deep pull of emotion that used to rule your life and bring you joy? Find your own questions. Work with a deep integrity to answer them. Put them on a spreadsheet. Save the document with full knowledge that you are setting out to make your dreams come true. I this trick. <laughs> to Limer. <laughs> Locations for meetups. The grocery aisle with the most potential is the baking section. You can go homemade and shop to impress. Boxed cakes are surprisingly an aphrodisiac. There is something in their preservatives. The powder itself can function like mild cocaine. Draw lines on your hand and snort in the aisle. You will laugh and then feel like you can't take it anymore. This will cause hands to come together, mouths to breathe into each other. Never waste your time in a coffee shop. Coffee culture is decidedly unsexy. No one is thinking about their bereft heart in a coffee shop. No one is thinking about anyone else's well-being in a coffee shop. If you want pastries and caffeine as a supplement for love, that's fine. Even encouraged. Do not misunderstand what it is. 
because it is merely something that is unrelated to affairs. Libraries are quiet and people are often lonely. Leave your name in the search bar of the communal computer and your location in the stacks. A park bench is a starting place, an art gallery to committal. A casino is a wonder so loud and bright and full of potential. Locations for sex. There are only do nots in this section. Do not think about your own home. If they are single, you may think about theirs, but it must not be the only place. You will lose yourself, not in a fun, wild, sexual way, in the way that causes you to forget to pick up children, to turn off your phone reminders, causes a small rash that develops into a small dragon that haunts you every time you try to have a shower. Fire breathing pocket size, the taunting and harassment only ceases when you're heartbroken. Hotel and motel rooms are fine as anything. Alleys are fine too, if you're not squeamish. Hand sanitizer and wet ones are a great investment. <laughs> Have them in your car or purse or backpack. Like a Boy Scout, you must be prepared even after you've left your spreadsheet hidden under domestic chores. Off-season dugouts are good. Bring blankets. You are an adult. You own some things that will help make your life easier. Practice levitating, and you can do it almost anywhere. Above the crowds, bodies pressed in bliss. Hollow out a large animal. This is not ideal. And once you try it, you'll be surprised how easy it is to desire it again and again. This list could go on and on. Locations for emotional outpourings. This is best done in parked cars. There is no better place. Hidden on a side street in a rooftop Best Buy parking lot, parking garages are not ideal. The idea that someone could see you crying, yelling, confessing some other indiscretion to your already secret lover is essential. Fog up a window with feelings. Anecdote. I'm only telling you this to make your experience more honest. The way it's gone for me has been like this. I make a decision to have an affair. I create worksheets for myself. I fill them out, I shred them. I fill them out again, I create spreadsheets, I fill them in. My fantasies are big and bold. I want to teleport into my lover's bedroom, into their car, shrink down to the size of a cell, and enter their body. I want to explore the inside of someone I love and touch the tender vessels that make them breathe and walk and stand in awe of the beauty of another person. I want flowers. I know they die. I still want them. I want someone to hold my hand and drag me to a dark corner in a public place. Dark corners are not to be feared in an affair. This is where skirts are lifted, pants are unzipped, bodies crumpling together in pleasure and sorrow and minute moments of happiness. None of this is revolutionary. Remember this. I want to be loved and f***ed. I want my partner to feel an unnamed shame. I want this person I committed to for life to question their own choices, to try to understand me like they used to, but to fail because we are more apart than ever. I want so much to not feel like a monster, but I will. The tiny dragon is just like me, judgmental and rude. I can't levitate or teleport. I can only make coffee for myself in the morning. No time to go to some cafe full of young people with time on their hands, with hope for the future, even just for the weekend. I can only ball out my fists and punch the laundry bag. 
I can only drive to work and cry as I sing the loudest to any song that comes on the radio, even if the lyrics are wrong. I can only remember the way I used to feel when my love first took my body and just held it, like I was a magical creature, something undiscovered and unlike anything else. I write this down, I make another spreadsheet, I plan for the future. Unplanned, I snapped to action in that moment. I kissed the mail carrier. We snuck into the mail truck and f***ed like teens, sloppy and without finesse on other people's lives, letters and bills. Then I walked, forgetting everything else just for that day. Then I only remembered those minutes in the truck, flashbacks, flashes, not magical. Conclusion. But, do not, but don't mistake the level of dream fulfillment. It might not work out. You might come crawling back home with a fistful of greasy coins you didn't put into the gambling machine slots. Thank you. And that brings us to E. Martin Nolan. I said E.M. once, so you should be all right. <laughs> e. Martin Nolan is a poet, essayist, and editor. He edits interviews at the Puritan. Er has also published numerous essays, interviews, and blog posts. He teaches at the University of Toronto. His book of poems, Still Point, was published by Invisible Publishing in fall 2017. For more, visit his website. It's website. not here. <laughs> What's your website? emartinolan.com. Emartinolan.com. <laughs> Welcome, Emart Nolan. tomorrow um, and that's actually kind of what I was going to dedicate my first reading to. Um, I'm a sessional faculty member or a contract faculty member at U of T. We're bargaining right now as well. Um, McMaster is bargaining. Uh, York is bargaining. Good luck. Where else? Good luck. Oh, yeah, thank you. Good luck to you guys too. Um, what'd you say? Acadia voted to strike. All right, all right. Yes, there's much movement going on. Um, I don't exactly have like a sessional or a contract back with strike poem, but this is very much <laughs> this is a poem from a contract faculty kind of perspective. So I'll dedicate this to you all and good luck tomorrow and going forward. <clears throat> On most Mondays I recover an inability to watch. But now, in an open office hour, I watch the ledge outside the window. It's concrete, worn by 40 years of the wind whipping to or from Lake Ontario. The ledge has a topography. It's a desert sand ocean in slow motion. Blown and bouncing off the window and landing in a divot on the ledge, a two-winged thing holding seed. From an ash, maple, how detached, loosened by a common sparrow, I cannot tell you. Is it too late? It's fall and getting cold. I don't know. 
Will the bud be taken, spread, and grow? Will it stay on the ledge, freeze, then split, fall, and break? Are these scraggly birds, not even native to this place, even capable, living on our landscaping and garbage, of aiding the spread of trees? Where here would a tree grow naturally? I don't know. I can't even see it if I step back into the room. So I had uh, seven hours, or no, six hours of student meetings today. And I'm very jealous of this because this moment had a cancellation. I really wanted that. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to do a little bit out of order. These poems are, for the most part, either in New Orleans, Detroit, or Toronto, the three places that I've lived. Um, I'm going to read three uh, now from New Orleans, um, second New Orleans section in here. It's all on the uh, Gulf uh, oil, BP oil spill from 2010. Um, here's the first one. The oil well will gush for weeks, if not forever. Unable to rest its leak, it can only spread. Let us weep for its incapacity. Beat our dashboards for its inability to halt as we do, loving in spurts. For why harness, why aim love? A limitless capacity, more. Break the meter, rip up notations. Play what you feel. Let it leak. Fill the gulf between what's what and what's coming. Um, so we're going to skip ahead a little bit. A lot of this is like a kind of journal almost. Um, I went to New Orleans uh, in 2010 for Jazz Fest, which I'll kind of get to a little bit. Um, and the oil spill started a week before. So it was kind of this crazy music and oil spilling into the Gulf kind of thing. Um, and there was a, uh, a, there's a, the plume comes up. There's this, like, there's this theory and then this mystery about whether there was a giant oil, like plume of oil. And they didn't know whether it was there or not. So it's kind of a little bit about that uncertainty. Um, I'm also going to mention core exit here, um, which is a, the chemical that they use to try to break up the plume if it did exist. Uh, it was also made by like, a subsidiary of BP, Nelco. If you ever drive on the 401 going out west or going out east, there's a Nelco building somewhere out in that industrial area. Um, so you can go, thank you. Thank you, corporation, for that. Um, so I'll just go into it. Reports are the escaped crude has formed a great plume below the surface of the Gulf. Not one ounce of the pesticides in me wants to enter the plume, but I must. I will offer myself to BP. I am the humble servant of oligarchs and their bystanding shareholders. I will honor the innocence of the 401k, its utter dependence. Now take me to your submarine with the diamond cutting blades and HD cameras. I will write its back 
because it is a whale and the mother of us all. I will be armed with each brackish bead of sweat resting on Shannon Powell's bass drum. I will lace each tear dropped for the drowned with Corexit and give to the plume our grief. For using Corexit, Nelco Corporation will sue me, claiming copyright infringement. And in settling, I will offer so much more than they asked for. What they could never have, my mortality. And I'll take unto me the horrible eternity of the never-born corporate self. This one's a, a little bit longer. Um, there's a lot of music earlier in it. Uh, this kind of comes back a little bit. Skerrick is a saxophone player who was in New Orleans when I was there. It doesn't matter what Skerrick played as a routine buck was reported from the well. It was more. Pressure mounted on the gulf's floor. When, on the surface, an English prof turned rig hand, worried fluids were used, not because they were right, but because BP had them in surplus, didn't matter. No one listens to the humanities anymore. It doesn't matter if the executives on board got bonuses for cost-cutting and sped-up schedules. It might matter what Randy Azell said to his wife before he was called back because the tapped gods had grown restless. The spill was reported a week before Jazz Fest. I was working in a basement prep room, plugging my own well, one peeled onion at a time. Doesn't matter. Jules was in Alabama, saying over Skype that James Jameson could contain such energy, keep it firm in the pocket. Skerrick moved to New Orleans shortly after myself. After a show, Jules would shake his head and laugh that peculiar Alabama laugh, say, hey guys, what? It doesn't matter if Skerrick planned what he played as the spill began, or where, if it went from Dizzy to Cobain to Duke, or if he just played a straight-up version of Moaning with a rap beat. It does not matter because the rig was not a meditation upon the well. Music is a meditation about time and sound. The well is not until the rig makes it so. Music has its own will, it precedes containment. To tap the well was our choice, our will. When jazz fest, me and Jules were broke as hell. I could get a six pack. He had some shrooms left. Herlin Riley played like a god's will at Donna's. It was hot, so the door was open. We listened from the street corner. Ecstatic friends 
music students visited us on smoke breaks. They taught me what syncopation was, what the pocket was, how sturdily Herlin owned it. The music taught me it was a hell of a thing to meditate upon it thus. So I think it's only appropriate after hearing about the BP oil spill to consider the end of the world. Um, and I also decided to read this with uh, one of Spencer's lost poems. I was like, okay, if you're going to put that mood out there, then I guess I should um, go for it. Uh, so this is a mashup of Emily Dickinson's Because I Could Not Stop for Death and the Coca-Cola ad, It's the Real Thing. Because <laughs> they both use the same word. And you could sing or speak either one in the other jingle or whatever. Um, here it is. If I could buy the world a Coke, Ghost Emily of Jingles don't. It could be not quick, the rest of slow shingles. Buy the world nothing more. Or a Coke laced with arsenic for us dumb and blinded and escape. The earth doesn't need us. The mountains we cast of waste, vulture encircled, landfills driven past. We trust the bridge will hold, the bridge will not break. What hope love held still, but lust from death to take. Ghost Emily, and us from your depth rise. We stop for only you. The earth, Emily, will thrive. So that's kind of a low point. Um, <laughs> but then I was like, I gotta write some other stuff. Um, so I've ever read a Detroit, let me read a couple Detroit poems now. Um, get back to this earlier one. This one is uh, just about a building I used to drive past the whole time growing up. An empty building with a ripped poster from a failed campaign nearly two years back on the windows plywood patch. The building's corners were styled, and some of that tile lasts. Remains of blue, once casually admired in passing, bits of dull red, the semblance of symbol. A surplus hour was spent to lay that. This was a bank, maybe a law office. Someone approaches on foot, looks back from the doorless doorway, enters. A few cars pass, loner herd animals. Okay, so just a couple more here. Um, do we got a, a, a ball game score, anyone? Yeah. So I figured it's game seven of one of the greatest uh, World Series. So I figured I had to read something with with baseball in it. Two nothing. Two nothing. Astro. 
Visiting Detroit, I turned down a ride from the station and take the Grand River bus back to Rosedale. This is Rosedale, Detroit, by the way. <laughs> it's packed on a warm summer afternoon. Drunk stumbles on the clear small clearing in the aisle near the back doors. The other riders let him be. He gets out on a block, empty, but for a liquor store. I see a red-winged blackbird emerge from the cattails of a swampy, empty lot. The trees south of Warren Avenue are lush and full, maybe wild enough to talk together. I walk Breton Drive from Grand River toward home. In the park, kids play baseball. Same league as me, under the same oak tree, behind the same backstop. I stop with my bags to watch. The score, I learn, is close. A grade school classmate is there, father to a player now. We talk, a nice, smiling guy, outwardly friendly. Does his kid know things can be different than they are? The oak tree's roots spread under the diamond and the seating area. It's been holding us up all along. Through the fights, through the marriages celebrated at the community house at the end of Wright Field, through all that these kids don't know the real meaning of. I hit the community house once with a line drive. My friend pitched. Our parents watched from below the oak tree. They laughed at her childish talking. We were losing big, but still I nailed that fastball with an inside-out swing. It rolled between the cedars lining the building's brick patios, and I walked into third base. It can be easy to love with simplicity as a child. I loved that city. Trapper's Alley and Michigan Avenue were big enough. Do these children know that the focus their faces wear betrays they too love the city, or at least this moment at least? But maybe also these are the happiest kids ever. They are in America playing baseball in the sun. <laughs> so that all do. Um, Thank you so much for coming out. Thank you, Dina and uh, Spencer. Awesome to read with you all. Thank you, Kinesia and Michelle. Thank you. The sounds coming. From the <laughs> <laughs> um, you have three minutes until they start up again. It's kind of, you know, it's works. Um, so uh, Spencer was telling me a few weeks ago that he really misses when George Bush was president. Like, he really thinks that we should acknowledge how good of a president he was, you know, relative. <laughs> I, I understood you, right? I understood that, right? Okay. Um, I'm going to kill you, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be slow, and it's going to be a night. <laughs> so just so you could remember that time. Sorry. This, he means the opposite. <laughs> Which bush? Cat. <laughs> Cat at the foot of my driveway. Oh. Cat at the foot of the driveway, tense, ready, and right to be. After all, you don't know me. This is an actual cat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought your wife cat. Yeah. 
information on the Pivot Readings, check out pivotreadings.ca. 